Today's episode of the Naked Preacher Podcast is brought to you by Nick Knack Heaven. If you're a minister, then chances are you got a lot of knickknacks in your office, each of them given to you by the kind-hearted, well-meaning souls entrusted to your care. That's sweet. But truth be told, you don't have space for another dollar store cherub figurine, Jeremiah 2911 plaque, or frame printing of the footprints poem. But what do you do with them? You'd be a heartless monster to trash them, and you can't give them to the youth yard sale because someone may notice. I mean, who else in the church is going to donate 14 copies of the purpose-driven life? That's why you need our services. Give us a call. We'll come get your sentimental surplus and take it to knick-knack heaven. Where's that? Ah, that's not important. All you need to know is that drawer full of Sunday school artwork clogging up your desk is gone, and them kitties will never find it in knick-knack heaven, so you can enjoy a clean workspace and a clean conscience. So don't feel guilty. Send it to knick-knack heaven, where ignorance and a clutter-free office is bliss. And welcome to another episode of the Naked Preacher Podcast, the show where preachers get together to reveal who they are outside the pulpit. My name is Paul Burgess, and I am excited to share with you today uh, an important conversation, a fun conversation that I was able to have with uh, three of my colleagues and good friends in ministry, uh, Leah Amy and Emily, and you might notice, well, hey, those are all the names of of women, and yes, they are, because our uh, topic today is that preachers are women, and uh, that truth is an important one to me, uh, because when I was growing up in the church, uh, my youth minister was a woman, her name was Becky, and uh, she was hugely influential in my spiritual life. I would not be where I am today. I would most likely not be in ministry, um, maybe not even have, have the wife and, and so many of the blessings that I do without her influence in my life. And so I know uh, for a fact that God calls and equips women for ministry, and uh, I am happy to have these friends of mine on to testify to some of their experiences as women uh, in in pastoral roles, because there are uniquenesses to it. There are challenges to it that um, we men in ministry don't always have to face, and so their stories are important and valuable, and we've got a lot to learn from them. And so, without further ado, I say let that learning begin. Let's settle in and enjoy this conversation uh, with my friends and colleagues, uh, pastors Emily, Amy, and Leah. Well, I'm excited to welcome to the podcast today three of my good friends in ministry, colleagues, and peers, um, 
Reverends uh, Amy McClure, uh, Leah Anderson Reed, and Emily Hole McGee. Uh, they are uh, awesome uh, pastors and here in, in North Carolina. And uh, I uh, will, will give them. I could tell you all of their all of their roles and their titles. I could uh, pronounce them all perfectly. I'm sure, but I'll let them do that for you. So, um, Amy, you're you're in the top left of my Zoom screen. So why don't we start with you? Thanks. Well, my name is Amy McClure, and I'm an associate pastor at First Baptist Church on Fifth Street in Winston-Salem, and I work in the areas of children, older adults, and pastoral care, and of course, the, the always encompassing other duties as assigned. And I love being in Winston-Salem. I've been here uh, six years, started my seventh year. Uh, it's an amazing journey, so I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So, uh, so children, senior adults, uh, pastoral care and other duties as assigned. So like your senior pastor must have a really, really chill job, right? I mean, I mean, they well, why probably don't, we don't uh, oh, is she, oh, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, hey, oh, Emily, Emily, why don't you go ahead and tell us what you do? Well, I am so glad to be here. I'm Emily Hole McGee. I serve as pastor at First Baptist Church on Fifth, so I get to work with Amy and a wonderful host of folks um, and have been here almost six years. Amy and I came kind of back to back back in 2015, so uh, it's a joy to be with you all today. Yeah, it's great to have you. And um, I love y'all's church name is probably just my favorite. I love that you can just say first on fifth and people know what you're mm -hmm. talking about. Is mm -hmm. there is there another is there a first on another street in Winston-Salem that requires you to say first on fifth? There is another church here. Um, it's certainly not a requirement. It's a um, kind of a personal choice for our church. Um <laughs> Our church is approaching its 150th anniversary, and uh, about 142 years ago, um, First Baptist Church on Highland Avenue, our sister church that's predominantly Black, um, was birthed out of our congregation. Okay. And the pastor there, uh, Reverend Paul Ford, who's a friend of mine, often likes to call us the other First Baptist Church, and he makes a point <laughs> to like, the other first battle, you know, make sure we know we're the other one. We're not right. right. They're the, they're the real one. So no, uh, we, yeah. we have um, kind of made it a real um, uh, priority to call our church first Baptist on fifth and their first Baptist on Highland. So that's awesome. To work with them. Yeah. Good deal. Well, and uh, to round out this uh, Piedmont uh, gathering of ministers, we have uh, my friend Leah Reed. So Leah, when you want to introduce yourself? Hey everyone, I'm Leah Anderson-Reed. Um, I'm the minister with community at First Baptist Church in downtown Raleigh. Um, and my job encompasses a lot of things. I wear a lot of different hats that involve um, working with our neighbors in need downtown. We do a lot of communication work, both in and outside of the church. And uh, yeah, a lot of other duties as assigned too. Gotcha. So it's not preaching or age group. It is probably me. So <laughs> are Love. you the food? Are you the food truck minister? At, at first the food truck minister also yes <laughs> to, uh, real quick why don't you tell us something a little something about that because i think that's just such, such a cool ministry that um that y'all have and 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 i will brag that uh came along after you did and i think you had a whole lot to do in in uh coming up uh, with that um, I, well 
we, so we have a, a give back food truck, a barbecue truck in our church parking lot um, called And Also With Q. And um, it is a give, you get it. Yeah. Do I need to explain? No, it? no, I get it. Okay. Yeah. We're, I'm liturgical enough that I can <laughs> understand that. Lingo. Um, so we, yeah, we started in October of 2019 and, um, basically the church is set up in our church parking lot through lunch every single day. And so you can come and enjoy, um, a lunch in our church parking lot. And part of the proceeds go to feed hungry people in our neighborhood in downtown Raleigh. So with the pandemic, um, right now that has looked like we are feeding, um, the women at a local homeless shelter in downtown Raleigh called the Helen Wright Center. Um, so we feed over there. Um, and it's just really provided us with a lot of cool opportunities to meet people that we never would have been able to meet otherwise. Um, so, you know, we are right on the corner across from the Capitol building in downtown Raleigh. So there's a lot of foot traffic in our parking lot. So it's allowed us to meet um, a lot of interesting people. So we're very grateful awesome. for that effort. Yes. That's cool. That's cool. I'm grateful to have such innovative uh, friends like Leah Anderson Reed. I left out the Anderson a second ago and, and Anna and LeCount, you know, man, I got to, I got to throw, throw credit up. for your awesome missionary parents. Um, so uh, you all are on a show uh, that's titled uh, Preachers or Women, uh, and, and so I definitely want to talk about the uniquenesses of, of ministry as uh, women in ministry um, and what you experience um, in, in that regard. But before we jump into it, um, every minister's journey starts with a call, right? And so I would love to hear, you know, just a real quick version of, of y'all's calls to ministry. So uh, let's see, Leo, why don't you start? Um, I grew up as a double pastor's kid. So my parents are both ordained Baptist ministers and my parents are still genuinely shocked that I am in the ministry. They always say <laughs> has to be God because no one else in their right mind uh, would do this after having the experiences in church that we had growing up. But, you know, I, um, I was entrenched in all things church from the time that I was in diapers. I actually learned to walk at Fort Caswell in 1987. Um, I remember growing into leadership roles within my church and my youth group. And I would say that I had some sort of camp experience um, during as a teenager during youth week at Caswell one summer where I was really trying to discern a call into vocational ministry. Um, and almost 18 to 20 years later, I don't know that I can totally explain to you what happened there, but I had some kind of divine moment in my spirit where I knew that God was calling me into some sort of form of ministry. So I came home and I told my church, um, and I was fully embraced and supported, uh, in that calling. They gave me opportunities to lead and to preach and you know, I'll be honest, looking back over the years, I've definitely thought about that camp experience and wondered, was I really sensing God's call on my life? Or was I on some kind of like emotional sugar high from too much? Yep. Um, but I knew that I loved people um, and I'd spent a lot of time doing mission work and had this passion for social justice. 
And that was basically all I knew. Um, so I think this is why a community of faith is so important because when I was able to really tell them kind of what I was feeling and sensing God leading me to do, they were able to help me discern and really hone in on those gifts and abilities that I feel that God had, had given me to you. So that's awesome. Yeah. They, they could help you, you know, put some definition maybe around the call that you were experiencing and yeah, that's, that's great. Well, Emily, what about you? Yeah. So I was laughing as Leah was sharing some of her story. It sounds familiar. I'm a <laughs> third generation Baptist pastor in my family. So a uh, double preacher's kid as well. My parents are both pastors and my granddad and my dad's sister um, for a season. Um, and so for me, ministry was kind of, or is, as we joke a little bit, the family business <laughs> and who wants to do that. Right. I mean, um, I, uh, um, really have resonated with a particular blessing of Jan Richardson. I love her. I know we all do, um, from epiphany where she says, if you could see the journey whole, you might never undertake it might never dare the first step that propels you from the place you have known toward the place, you know, not. And I think about my calling, um, as a series of epiphanies of, of taking those steps into the darkness. Um, my parents, uh, began their ministry on a cattle farm in a parsonage in Shelby County, Kentucky. Um, and so we it moved around several times in my childhood. So it meant that um, my growth as a person of faith was always rooted in the church where I saw so many wonderful, um, uh, you know, folks who loved God and loved the expression of God in the world through the church um, and I, you know, my experience growing up in the church was probably like many of you and, and your listeners who, you know, who remembered the VBS camps and the little shortbread cookies you could stick on your finger in the red Kool-Aid yep. and the Sunday school and, you know, just every bit of that. Um, and as my life unfolded, I followed a, a passion for singing to college and grad school, um, wanted to sing opera back in those days. And so my um, closest circle of friends, uh, were all in all of them had grown up in the church and at some point in their life found that either they were no longer welcome because they came out or they no longer found, uh, the church to be relevant in their lives or didn't know that they could bring their questions or their doubts mm -hmm. into those spaces. And so it was, uh, one of those, you know, steps in the darkness that was an epiphany for me was, um, realizing that I was having these great conversations about God and faith with my circle of artist friends. Uh, but it was often at the bar on Saturday night and not in church on Sunday morning. Um, and I remember thinking like someone, someone needs to do something about this gap, this chasm that I was sensing in my life, um, and seeing between this hunger for faith and this like bold, expressive, wonderfully creative group of people outside of the church and this long faithfulness that I had experienced for, um, so many years of church folks and like yeah. this, this gap that seemed unreconcilable. And it was right there where I sensed a call that unfolded in my years of divinity school and, uh, led me to, uh, my first calling outside of school as minister to young adults. I wanted to, I knew I wanted to work with people my own age that were having some of the same questions I was having. Um, and so I worked, um, 
in mm-hmm. six wonderful years at Highland Baptist in Louisville and then was called here to first on fifth. Yeah. So, yeah, you got to be careful when you do the whole somebody should do something about this yeah, no. type of thing, right? Usually in staff meetings, if somebody brings up something like that, they get put in charge <laughs> of it. So, like, I should, you know, I should have known that. But right. yes, yes. Well, yeah. it's nice to see that you've em- employed that and put it into your own ministry now. <laughs> right. right. Uh, okay, Amy, how about you? Well, I um, I would say my story is a little different than Leah and Emily because growing up, um, we didn't have any pastors in our family. Um, sort of in both sides of our family was filled with um, addictions and broken relationships. Um, but through all of that, my family at least loved each other, um, sort of extended family. And my, my parents loved me enough to at least take me to the church at the end of the street. Um, so when I was very young, my mom started taking me. So from the earliest I can remember, um, I just love being at the church. The problem was um, I like to misbehave when I was little in church. So we ended up on the back row in worship. So mom could, you know, take me out if needed. And Um, let me say real quick, Amy will be on a future episode called Preachers Go to Prison because she does. (laughs) She is the most misbehaving guest we've ever had. That's true. That could be true. But um, yeah, so I, I just remember acting out a lot because I just, I felt safe there. So I could do whatever I wanted to do. Um, and I just remember these older men and women surrounded my poor mama in the back to help, uh, parent us. And my dad didn't like to see me get in trouble. So my mom just said, well, if you don't want her to get in trouble, you need to start coming to church with us. And so he did, and he is a faithful member of our home church now. And so I often tell him I saved his life because I kept getting (laughs) in trouble. So it kind of worked out. Um, But my grandmother uh, was a Mormon, and I have many family members who probably didn't identify with any faith. Um, So I felt a little bit like a sponge in in the church. Um, Everything that was being said was new. I, I didn't hear that in my family units a lot, extended family family gatherings. We just didn't talk about faith. Um, So all these people at this church felt very safe. And it was a Southern Baptist church um, who really affirmed me as a woman, which nowadays is very rare. But as I was growing up, they gave me lots of opportunities. Um, I always felt like I belonged in the church and that I was supposed to be helping and serving and leading. Um, so to say there was like a moment in my life that I thought this is my call, it, it's just always been a, a thread mm-hmm. of who I am. Um, and so because I was Southern Baptist and my church was amazing and wonderful, I thought that as a woman, I was supposed to be a missionary or be a children's minister. And so I chose the first and I chose to go live in West Africa, uh, in Liberia and serve as a missionary. And while I was there, I worked with local churches and I just could not shake this feeling that I am supposed to be ingrained in the life of a local community serving a local church because there's lots of forms of doing ministry. But I felt sort of a clear call to local church ministry. Um, And so just through a series of the next few years serving different churches, um, I continue to discover that call and uh, continue to be surrounded by people of different faiths who remind me of my grandmother, who remind me of the people with addictions from my own family, the brokenness that comes. And I always want to remember where I came from, that this was a brand new thing, you know, to go to church. 
um, and to always sort of remember those people who are on that same journey. Um, so I think everyone's call looks so different. Some people have a moment, some people you live into it and lean yeah. into it. And so I've leaned into it and I leaned all the way over to Winston-Salem, which is where I am now. <laughs> and it's this congregation that then said, you know, we want to ordain you. And it was such a, um, a mountaintop experience to think, gosh, I think about where I came from and for my family to be present at that ordination and to affirm a faith that I had adopted and that they had helped form me in was, was huge. And Pastor yeah, Emily and, and you, Paul, led that service so beautifully. Um, and you probably had no idea the layers uh, that were present in that service. Um, but it's been a, a, a journey. And, and to remember all those people who sat with me quietly on the pew, um, it's them that, that became part of my calling. I want to yeah. be like, I want to be like Bobby Joe. I want to be like Nancy. I want to be like fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where I, I land now. And I think we're all still discovering, you know, what road we're on. We never yeah. know. So isn't that, isn't that just so awesome? Like the difference that, that those people one Sunday after another can make just not doing anything more than, I mean, Emily, you talked about those the, the little shortbread cookies with the circles in them. I know those well because the cookie man, Sidney Broadwell, would bring those by every single Sunday. And um, that helped give me such just a positive vision and, and, and feeling about church and a place that loves me and um, all that. So you, you truly never know the difference that, um, that you're making. And so I'm glad that you had such positive experiences, um, all of y'all, really. Uh, so you know, the unique, one of the unique differences between my sense of calling and, and yours would be that um, you are all women who have uh, felt called to ministry. And so at what point did you realize that your road to living into your calling would be difficult uh, or, or, or different or more difficult because you were a woman? Because I mean, particularly we're in back, we're in a the Baptist family, uh, all of us. And, um, the simple truth is, is that not all, uh, people, um, particularly in Southern Baptist traditions, like where you grew up, uh, Amy, uh, and all of us to some extent, um, uh, affirm that God calls women to ministry. So at, at what point in your calling did you sense that, Oh, well, this is different for me than it is for him. I'll jump in. Um, so I grew up in a Southern Baptist church that ordained women. Uh, women were a part of every single leadership level that we had within my home church. They were deacons. Um, my youth minister was a woman. Women taught me Sunday school and GAs. Uh, they were in every decision-making uh, position within the church that they could be in. And my bubble uh, was so insular that I never really knew that there were churches that did not affirm and ordain women until I got to college. Um, and I remember being a freshman at Campbell University. And in the first week of school, we had this religion major cookout. Yes, that was as, as riveting as it sounds. <laughs> and I, sounds like a party. It, it was a party. Um, and I remember standing in line to get a hot dog and this guy named Eric, uh, is standing in line with me, asking me about where I'm from and we're doing the general, you know, small talk thing. And then he says, so what are you trying to do with this religion degree? 
And I said, well, I, I feel called to be a minister in a church. And without even skipping a beat, he said, you can't be a minister. You're a woman. Woof. And that was the first time that I had ever even heard those words. I mean, at 18 years old, it was like if you were a flat earth person and you suddenly discovered that the earth was round. I mean, that was like the huge moment that it was for me in my life. And, you know, of course, I called my dad. I called my youth pastor crying, saying, tell me everything you know about First Timothy chapter two. Like, why did Paul say these terrible things? Um And I'm actually today surprisingly grateful for that conversation uh, because it launched me into this journey of having this inner knowing that part of being a woman in ministry would be having these conversations. It would just, it's just a part of it. Um, And I didn't know until I knew um, that that was an issue for so many people. So Mm. I'd say that would be one of my one of the many moments that kind of um, was an aha for me that that would be a part of my calling going yeah. forward. Yeah. E- Eric and the hot dogs. <laughs> I won't say his last name. No, I. <laughs> the part of the story that I'm interested to hear, and we could do this off mic, is, is what response Eric got from you. Um, because <laughs> I don't want to be the person that tells Leah she can't do something. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, similar to Leah, again, growing up at Southern Baptist Church, they obviously always affirmed me. So I didn't I didn't know any different. But when I got to college, I ended up serving as the president of the Baptist Student Union at UNC Chapel Hill. And that's very go hills, (laughs) very moderate to progressive Baptist Student Union. we had a wonderful campus minister who was probably the most progressive minister I'd ever met and challenged me. But um, going into my senior year, my eyes were open to the challenges happening in Baptist life uh, in the Baptist State Convention, sort of on a broader scale with the Southern Baptist Convention. And um, all he told us was that he was being asked to retire. And I started doing some digging and realized, you know, why they were sort of pushing him out and um, started asking a lot of questions and knowing that I was the leader of this, the largest Baptist student union in the state. And I'm a woman. What was that going to mean? Knowing that the Baptist State Convention didn't affirm women in leadership positions, including campus ministry. And so um, I just remember watching my peers getting very nervous about that and um basically by my second semester being told this is how we're going to do things without even asking our opinions. Um, And I thought, okay, if I was a man, this would feel very differently because all the men were invited to the table and the women were just told, here's what we're going to do. And that was the first time I felt kicked away from the table. Um, And it was painful. And I was a senior in college. So I was old enough probably to know better, but I was also still naive about what was happening in Baptist life. Um, And so that was likely a college was sort of the first experience for me being told, well, you're a woman, you don't get to have this conversation with us. Just that directly told that. And it was very painful. Um, So it was a wake up call and it opened my eyes to, to really what was going on. Yeah, I bet. Um, 
Emily, I'm sure you have to have had a unique experience, you know, kind of like Leah with growing up with your mom being a pastor. I mean, having yeah. always seen that, always known that. Do you remember yeah. um, sort of your first experience where you're like, wait, what? This is a thing? Yeah. So uh, my story really starts with my parents. So um, it kind of picks up some threads that Leah and Amy have just shared. Um, my parents met at Southern Baptist Seminary when they were both there to work, my dad was there to work on an MDiv and my mom was getting her master of church music. She wanted to be a minister of music. This was back in like 1979. They met and fell in love and got married. And shortly thereafter, this long, um, or right in the midst of this, this long, um, shift in the Southern Baptist convention happened with the role of women in the church, right at the center of that conversation. We all know about it. Amy just alluded to it. Um, and it played out in my family. My granddad, uh, was prior to that, the Dean of the school of theology at Southern seminary. And it was his leadership around the authority of scripture as it relates to the role of women. Uh, he was someone who was saying, um, the Bible is clear that women have long been, um, critical in proclaiming good news. Like let's go to John 20. Let's go to the very <laughs> beginning here. Who was the first to proclaim the resurrection? It was a woman, um, who, who stayed with Jesus at the cross. It was the women like this is the women are at the heart of the gospel story. Okay. I'm getting on my, I'm like getting flushed, getting excited <laughs> talking about this. Um, no, and my grandfather was one who was preaching this. And, um, and because of that was one who saw the writing on the wall and, uh, left Southern before it got real bad, but it, it, it like my whole sense of call cannot be separated from my parents and my granddad and like just this thread in my life. Um, because for my mom, my, my mom has been the closest ex example for me of what is like being a woman in ministry. And there have been crucibles that she has had to bear and walk that I never had to. Hmm. There have been ways she has been rejected and turned down and uh, overlooked that I will never have to be. And it's just not fair. And like, she is more gifted than me. I mean, like she's one of the most gifted ministers I know. Um, I watched throughout my childhood, you know, when my dad would be called somewhere, um, some very well-meaning church member would say, well, look, we got two for the price of one and would talk about, you know, this minister couple that by hiring my dad, um, you know, they just got to benefit from my mom's ministry, um, where she sort of, uh, had to adapt and, and discover what the need was in a church and, and adapt her her gifts and ministry around that. Um, I probably saw sort of the underside of that in one season of their ministry where, um, partly because she's a woman and partly because of who she loved my dad, she was not given, um, uh, space in the church to be a minister. And it was a time for me that I just remember thinking, I'm not doing that. I am not, I am not doing that. I'm not going to spend, um, I, I, I don't, whatever is happening to her. I don't want that to happen to me. And that was way before I felt a sense of call to ministry. Um, but when I did, I remember, um, saying to my minister side of the family, my granddad and 
my parents, you know, I feel this call to seminary and I want to go, but don't get any ideas. I'm not going to be a minister. I will not work in a local church. I'm going to run a nonprofit or something. Um, and I probably am not going to be Baptist because I'm not going to spend the rest of my life apologizing for being a woman. This is in my like very feisty early twenties years <laughs> when I had oh, no like idea two or three years ago like, or yes, or yesterday. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, it, uh, my granddad just put me in my place real fast and basically said, we did not do all this fighting <laughs> for our daughters to just become a Methodist and like that it wow. matters. And, yeah. and I'll never forget that conversation. So all that to say, there are ways in which, um, I have had, you know, some side comments here and there from people and some, you know, uh, very subtle, um, what, uh, you know, what others might call a microaggression where in a meeting, someone might say, oh, well, you're, you're a woman. Let's hear from, let's hear the women's perspective. Like there's often things like that. Um, Speak for the other half of humanity. That's right. That's right. But um, on the whole, I have been so fortunate that many of the um, challenges of being a woman in ministry, um, I have not had to face because my mom and so many like her did face that. And so yeah. um, mm. for that, I'm humbled and grateful every day. Yeah. Praise God for the people on whose shoulders we stand. That's right. Um, so are, are there any, you know, hurdles that you have faced in ministry? And this could be specific to you being women in ministry or, or, or just, just generally, but, um, you know, would, would love to hear about any of the specific challenges that you faced. Since I was just talking, I'll, I'll jump in here. I remember when I was being called to Highland Baptist in Louisville to serve as their minister to young adults, I was coming onto a staff of six full-time ministers, five of whom were women. And at the time, and the, the one male was our senior pastor. And he, he told me later, he said, you know, honestly, we were, we were, we found you and we thought you were the great, the best one for the job. But like, we thought we probably should look for a guy. I mean, like, shouldn't we have some balance? <laughs> and it was our associate pastor at the time, Nina, who said, this church has had men on their staff for all these years. Like we're just making up for lost time. So no, yeah. you know, no, we don't yeah. need to worry about that. Um, but one of the things that um, I have felt and kind of tapped into more recently, um, is this awareness that as, uh, as the first woman called to pastor in my congregation, it felt to me and has felt to me like the church went way out on this limb to call mm. me as pastor. And so I need to, um, not rock the boat. Like they rocked the boat in calling me. Mm. And so, any sort of boldness or um, real forward movement, I just need to always keep in check because the speed of change can't, we can't outpace people's capacity to absorb it. Mm. Um, and so that has been um, a thing that I've had to just um, sort of recognize in myself of like ways that I have held back or softened or, um, you know, not just sort of put it all out there because subconsciously I'm remembering, now, wait a second. There were people that were angry when you were called, there were people who weren't supportive. The church really went out of limb for this call and you need to hold that. So. Yeah. Wow. Sort of hold, holding back some of the person, the, 
the the pastor that they called mm-hmm. that that committee called um to you know to make sure that you prove to the rest of the congregation like no this was a good thing they were okay That's to right. do this yeah, yeah. wow yeah. uh amy and leah y'all got anything to add any hurdles I'll say I've I've served four churches and all of them have had beautiful and wonderful things about them. Um, At one particular church I served, um, the the male senior pastor refused to call me a minister. I was just a director, (laughs) director of activities for whatever age group um, I was serving. And I, you know, did he call the the men on staff that? No, but the women were just directors. Uh, We sort of facilitated activities. Um, Some of the other hurdles that that I've personally experienced, um, all my senior pastors have been men, except for Emily now. Um, So before her, uh, a lot of the men, I don't know what it was, but uh, felt this need to sort of exert power. And so, um, you know, in one church in particular, um, just suffering a little bit of verbal abuse. Um, all the women on staff did and rise, trying to rise up against that while still honoring the office of pastor um, was a hurdle because you're, you're trying to honor your church and the staff. Um, but then you're sitting there being verbally abused every day and sort of being told what to do like a puppet and, um, and not so gracefully being told those things, um, being told when you can go to lunch and when you can't. Um, so those are maybe a couple of hurdles. We can get into more of that in a little bit, but yeah. those sorts of things did push me away from the church uh, for yeah. a season, but I have found my way back. Well, speaking of being pushed away from the church for a season, I, I, that's sadly something that I know a lot of my you know female colleagues in, in ministry have, um, that's a common thread is that uh, I know a lot of my women for women friends who are called to be pastors kind of have to take a break <laughs> at some point. And like pretty early on, like Amy, I know when you, I mean, listeners, for those who are unaware, these are all young people that we're, that we're talking to. We are all in still in the dawns of our ministries, or at least at, we're still pre-lunch, you know, pre-noon. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, Leah and Amy, I, I know that both of you have had to just say, I need a year off uh, for a while. And and when you did, um, not really knowing if you might ever come back to serve in a church in a traditional, you know, way again. Um, so I'd love for you to share about any of that experience. And Emily, I don't know if you've had a similar experience yourself or not, but um anything you might want to share about that, please do so. Um, I worked retail uh, for nine months after an incredibly painful parting of ways with the church where I was serving. Um, I went from full-time program packed youth ministry to being a shop girl at a boutique in downtown Raleigh. Um, And it was the biggest gift that I didn't know I needed. Um, especially after leaving an emotionally draining situation at, at church, I needed time and space, uh, to heal and breathe. And honestly, I needed to figure out if I was still willing to continue in this journey of vocational ministry. 
Um, and I remember having these moments while I was working at that boutique where these women would sit down. We had this big farmhouse table in the middle of the shop um, and they would just pour their hearts out to me. And it, it felt like ministry. Um, I felt like a fashion chaplain or something like that. <laughs> and I had this moment where I realized, oh, God has called me to pastor wherever I am. Like this calling is not contained to the walls of a church or a Christian nonprofit. It is my calling and it goes with me wherever God takes me. And I think that was an incredibly powerful um, lesson for me to realize and also so incredibly freeing um, to think about oh, God has placed this calling on my life um, and whatever circumstances I might face both in and outside the church, um, it is deeply ingrained within me and it will go with me wherever I am. Wow, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul, for me, I, similar to Lee, I was working a full-time associate job and from there, um, stepped out to work at a pediatric dental office as an office manager uh, for my season. Um, the reason I stepped away is, um, you know, experiencing some abuse um, from the, the senior pastor who was a male, a white male. And um, I went through all the church channels to, to beg for help and protection and uh, some guidance. And um, the church at the time just trusted the pastor. And so all the women on staff ended up leaving, but um, I, I sort of got tired of, you know, people hiding behind the scriptures or behind this God that I fell in love with. All of a sudden this abuse is okay because this person is, you know, representing God in our church. I thought that wow. that's not the yeah. God that I know and love. That's not the way God treats me. Um, and so I started realizing, you know, maybe local churches just don't have it in them to, to love people the way they need to be loved and to love them for exactly who they are, male or female, age, gender, gender, um, you know, neutral, whatever somebody wants to be, whomever they want to be, whomever God has created them to be. And so I thought maybe local church is just not where I'm being led. Um, I still loved people. Um, and so I stepped out and saw these little kids coming in terrified to get their teeth cleaned and get x-rays and these parents terrified. And so calming them at the front desk, kind of like Leah, you're sitting with people in these really hard moments um, and realizing I'm, I'm still being called to something. And I remember my professors in seminary saying, you know, if you go to bed at night, wake up in the middle of the night and you think, I I could go be a banker the rest of my life and be happy. I could go work at a pediatric dental office and be happy. Then go and do that because ministry is really hard. And every time I would wake up in the middle of the night, I thought there's nothing else I would rather do. Um, to my core, I know who I am. And that is a minister called by God to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. Couldn't shake it. And so um, it was a healing time for me to work in that dental office um, and then sort of receiving a call 
to say, hey, are you interested in stepping back into the local church ministry? I was very skeptical of the people at First Baptist on Fifth in Winston-Salem, not because I knew any of them. I was skeptical of the church. Sure. Um, but recently I, I led a group through a book study, uh, searching for Sunday by Rachel held Evans. And at the end of the book, you know, she had a similar experience of just, um, leaving the church, but in the end of the book, she said, church, isn't some community you join or some place you arrive. Church is what happens when someone taps you on the shoulder and whispers in your ear, pay attention. This is holy ground. God is here. Mm. And so being surrounded by those people who affirmed me as a woman in ministry saying, pay attention, God is with you. And this is holy ground. Whatever step you take next is holy ground. Pay attention. Church will happen. Yeah. Um, so I found my way back to the church through that. Awesome. Well, I'm glad y'all did because the church is definitely better because of it. Um, so one of the things um, we have uh, a wonderful um female pastor here uh, on staff with us at Winter Park, Allison Laremore, and uh, it's, it's fun to talk with her sometimes um, to hear some of the things that she might get told um, that none of the rest of us men on staff uh, might get told. And so I, I, you know, I wonder, are there, you know, comments that y'all receive that you feel like you would never say that to, you know, a, a, a male minister, you know, why are you saying that to me? How long do we have on this one? <laughs> <laughs> Let it roll and I'll cut it down to the top. Ten. I have to edit some of this out. I mean, I, you know, I was once asked by a church to to not have children in my first two years of working at the church because Ooh. the committee really wanted me to focus on my job. Mm. Um, and they said, yeah. And folks, that's illegal. Just, <laughs> but I mean, the, the personnel chair said to me, we really would like for you to, to try and not have any kids uh, within their, your first couple of years, because we, we want you to really focus on the lives of these, these teenagers. And you can't do that if you're a mom. <laughs> and then, I mean, I, I don't even know. There's so many comments. My one that stands out, I was at a nursing home uh, a few years ago and uh, a social worker had come in the room to talk with this congregant and um, this lady, one of our congregants, I was talking and praying with her and the social worker walked in and Miss um, Nina, who was our congregant said, um, Shelly, this is, this is one of my pastors, Leah Reed. And she said, well, you don't look like a pastor. <laughs> and I, and I'm sure this is not unique to me, but there is just, uh, this kind of overwhelming sense just out in the world, not just in Baptist circles that, uh, men are pastors and that is just kind of the, the water that we swim in every day, um, that it is not, you know, men are leaders. And so, um, it, it's an interesting thing to kind of unpack that patriarchal, uh, world in which we live and, and try to live and work in that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Paul, I remember one time I was in line for a potluck and, um, 
my weight became a topic of conversation in the line for the potluck. And this man came up to me and literally puts his hands around my waist and said, you need to fill up your plate and, you know, put some meat on your bones with his hands literally touching my body around my waist. And, you know, I was pretty new uh, to this church and I thought, okay, how do I respond without coming across as not being able to take a joke or whatever, but I want to say, get your hands off of me, please. And mm-hmm. what I eat is none of your business. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh and, and I know Emily has a ton of these stories. We were in a meeting together, uh, Emily and I were, we were going through very hard uh, decisions in our church, very hard changes. And we're at the table with all men. And Emily's a very strong woman who can hold her own. And I just get to sit and watch oftentimes. So I'm sitting in this room and she's leading this meeting, all these men around the table. And one of our dear friends uh, and a man in our church who is so wonderful and meant all the love in the world by this, but um, said to, to Emily and I, thank you so much for your hard work. It's time for daddy to come in and, and save the day now. <laughs> well, luckily, Emily gave this congregant uh, talking to and he apologized. <laughs> he didn't mean that. Yeah. But the language yeah. uh, would be true, I think, of a lot of churches that daddy needs to come in and save the day. Those women have tried hard. We're going to come in and and help you out here. Uh, so, those, again, Leah, as Leah said, we could go on for hours, but those are a couple examples. <laughs> I had blocked that one out, Amy. I had forgotten. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Yeah, we did have to put him in his place after that. <laughs> Didn't we? Yeah, mine, so many that they have just named, um, the, like, you don't look like a pastor. Um, wait, you're a pastor, you know, all, all of all the different varieties of that comment. My, most of mine have come, um, as I've been pregnant and a pastor and like that has been, you know, just for some people like open season to just put their hands all over you and make all the comments about your body and, um, where I felt this sort of most acutely was kind of at the very end of my last pregnancy, I have three kids and my last pregnancy was the hardest on my body. And we were in a hard season at the church and I had just a handful of mostly senior adults that were just really stressed about like, what are we going to do if you go into labor and worship? And like, they would ask me this, like, like with that, that tone of like panic, <laughs> And I like, should we like this one guy who's bless him? He's a senior adult man. He used to be a pediatrician. He was, he came up to me very seriously one Sunday. Should we put some towels in the pulpit just in case? Just in ah. case breaks? And it was like, <laughs> no, I'm talking about that right now. Like, you know, and while I'm in my robe and like trying to, you know, be the spiritual leader and like lead people into worship, whatever. Um, finally, I, I ended up writing a newsletter article about it and trying to like make, like make a joke about it. You may have noticed I'm pregnant at the time I was like 36 weeks, you know, <laughs> and just said like, you know, if I, I've heard several of you worried about what happens if I go into labor and if I go into labor, I will do what women have done for generations and I will have a baby. And those of you who will still be in the sanctuary will figure out what to do next. Like trying to say like, guys, like this isn't, this isn't rocket science. I'll go to the hospital and have a baby peace. Y'all will figure it out. You know? So a lot of it, uh, for me, really, um, I, I was called to pastor here while I was pregnant with my daughter, my second child, um, and preached 
very pregnant. So a lot of my stepping into pastoring has been informed by the body changes of pregnancy and post-pregnancy and all the comments that come along with that. So wow. um, I do have one very dear uh, member who's an usher who calls me pastor sweetie. I'm not sure, you know, my predecessor would have been called pastor sweetie, but mm. it's, it's he, means it, he means well, that's right. I get called princess. So mm-hmm. and- <laughs> We will not even uh, enter into the realm of inappropriate touching. Oh, um, I oh. cannot even count the number of men that have kissed me on mm-hmm. the forehead, on the cheek, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the things. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, you ever get kissed? I've got one guy who calls me princess, but. There <laughs> <laughs> you do. Sure you do. <laughs> he- He's a big giver though, so I don't say much. <laughs> happy. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so okay. I think that that one of the things that golly when when people just just write off that and no, you know, women can't be in ministry. Like I think that women are in so many ways are better equipped to be ministers for a lot of reasons. And so I'd love to get your thoughts on what do you think makes women, you know, better equipped for ministry than, than men in some scenarios? I think, um, intuition, I think women have, um, an incredible sense of intuition. We are good listeners. We are empathetic. We are compassionate. We are resourceful. We are networked. Uh, this one might get me into trouble, but I think women are less driven by ego um, than most of the men that I see in leadership roles. So, yeah, that's just just a few. Yeah, no, I think those are fair fair statements. Generally speaking, I mean, obviously, we're not going to, of course, you know, there are always exceptions to rules and things. But Paul, I, I would almost uh, instead of saying better equipped, I might say differently equipped for ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last fall, um, I went through a, a hard season of learning that I will never be able to have children. Mm-hmm. Well, that sort of equips me differently to minister to families mm-hmm. who are not able to have children or need to go through the adoption route or foster. Um you know, men, I know also experience infertility. Um, I think women's bodies just feel that differently because our bodies are made to carry the child. Um, you know, for, for women who have experienced miscarriages or uh, stillbirth, or those are things that really only women get to experience with their body. Um, men just don't have that. And so it's just a, a a differently equipped way of doing ministry. Um, so I don't know if it's better. I think it's just different. See, I think you just said that better than I asked the question, which <laughs> is kind of a paradox because you just proved that you were better than me in that or differently, di- differently, whatever. I, I would echo so much of what um, these two have said and just also add, you know, one of the, um, one of the things that I have learned in, particularly in this role, um, when most of my most immediate pastor, uh, models have been men that I love and respect and who do this work so beautifully. And with, um, just wonderful, wonderful pastors, um, 
what is it that a woman does bring authentically to ministry that perhaps hasn't been seen? So maybe it's a different gift or, you know, you might say in certain times, it might be a better gift or a um, more holistic gift or a uh, something, you know, a, a, it fits the need of the church. Um, I, I realized a lot of what I was doing early on in my pastoring was like modeling what I had seen, which is a certain type of masculine flavored leadership and had to sort of realize, wait a second, that doesn't feel like it's deeply connected to my deep sense of self. Um, I think one of the things um, that women do uh, on the whole, I'm going to generalize here. Um, I have seen women in leadership do differently than many men in leadership, not certainly not all, um, but lead with a real uh, bent toward collaboration. Like oftentimes, uh, and this is my style, I, I just want to keep wrapping people in. I don't, I don't know it all. Good Lord. Like, let's bring more voices to the table and um, ha- share uh, share the power and share the, um, the, the, uh, authority in a situation. Um, I think women do that really well. I think women are good at building a team and pressing forward together. And, um, often women are more in touch with their emotional lives and like their, their, even their physical self to, to Amy's points, um, that is really important. I think all ministers should be in therapy (laughs) at Mm. least at some season of their life. And there are, there are plenty of men I know that will refuse to do that emotional work for whatever reason. And most women I know are, are willing to um, yeah. talk about their feelings. So Preach. those are and, just a few things. And for, for any uh, male ministers that might be listening who aren't in therapy, <laughs> I have a therapist that I see quite regularly. So you have no excuse not to. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, a hearty amen to that um, observation by Pastor Emily. So uh, you talked about, you know, modeling some of uh, what what you had seen in pastors. And I wonder who are some of the the people that you each admire in ministry? Who are some of the ones that um, have inspired you and maybe that you look to for on those days when uh, it, it does get difficult doing the work of ministry, especially as a woman? Well, I can start with that. Um, I appreciate that question because I think you said earlier, you know, we rest on the shoulders of those who came before us. Um, So, you know, for me and my story that I kind of shared earlier is was watching people in my home church um, who modeled what it means to just love people and, and be the face of Jesus to them. And so I had men and women that I modeled myself after and still think about. Um, there was a lady named Nancy Pryor, who was my sixth grade homeroom teacher, but she was also a church member. And she had the gift of writing cards for every occasion. And I learned the value of a handwritten note to encourage someone. Um, it was my pastor when I was a kid, Jarvis, who was an elderly white man. Um, but when I would walk down the aisle, he just hugged me and affirmed who I was as a child of God. Um, you know, I think about, you know, Pam Durso, who has paved this path for women, Addie Davis, who was the first woman ordained, Lynn Brinkley, who helps continue to push and fight uh, for women of color. I think about Randall and Lou Lolly, 
you know, Randall gets a lot of the credit, but Lou was right there ministering with him. And so I look to them and I read about them and um, I try to model myself after the ways that they did ministry, which is to draw all people in there and always model there's room at the table. As Pastor Emily says, you know, when we do communion, this is God's table. All are welcome. And such a strong theological statement that all these people before me modeled, you are welcome at the table. And so it feels very weird when someone says you're not welcome at the table. So surrounding myself and remembering the people that said you are welcome. Mm. Awesome. Um, I'll go. I, um, gosh, there's so many, I mean, I could, uh, Amy's list feels really resonant with my own. Like I think of, um, I think in particular about the senior adult women in my life who, um, have felt called to ministry and whose ministry has had to be curbed because of their generation. Um, one of our saints, beloved saints from first on fifth Ellen Tabor was a, a, a missionary for years. And she would often, she died at 92, I think, but she would often sit me down and talk about what it means to be a woman in ministry. And I think of Miss Laurie who taught me Sunday school and gave me those shortbread cookies on the finger and the red Kool-Aid and, Joe Ward, uh, a wonderful uh, minister spouse in my church in Knoxville growing up, um, who just, like you could just tell, um, and they were, they were the ones that in my ordination, their laying on of hands felt significant in a new way for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about my family, my daughter, um, my mom, my aunt, you know, some of these women who um, have just... Uh, modeled and give me hope for what is to come. I think about, you know, some of the, uh, women professors I've had male, well, any of my professors that have, um, given me language and clarity about calling. I think about my peer learning group with whom I could not do ministry. I think about my staff that I get to work with. I mean, good Lord, the list could just go on and on. Yeah. Yeah. Leah, uh, what about you? And, and, you know, as, in addition to me, uh, who uh, inspires you in ministry, who has encouraged you. Right. Thank you for mentioning yourself. I was, you were my number one. So I could tell you were nervous <laughs> to do it. So I just, I just didn't want to put you on the spot. Um, uh, yeah, this whole, I echo so many of the people that have been mentioned, um, just the saints of my home church at first Baptist Washington, um, women and men who, uh, you know, hugged me when I didn't make the cheerleading squad, who showed up at my dance recitals, who mm-hmm. threw me a surprise birthday party when I was 16, um, who taught me um, what it what it looks like to be the hands and feet of Christ. Just so many people, too many to name. Um, I think about my mom and dad who have just been absolute rocks for me in um, modeling uh, resilience in ministry um, when the church has knocked them down so many times and they keep going and they've kept, they kept reinventing um, their calling and um, how they would serve. Um, I think about my husband who would not, he, he would not call himself a minister, but he is a mental health therapist. And he, I always say does more ministry in five minutes than I do in my whole week. So, um, just think of, and then just countless professors at Campbell Divinity School. I would, uh, also say Kathy Gore Chapel has been a huge, 
um, influence in my life. And just uh, Kathy has pretty much gotten me any job that I've ever had. In <laughs> she is the one to thank. Um, but just so many colleagues, um, my peer learning group, the fellows cohort, the CBF fellows cohort that I was in from 2014 to 2016. We just cannot do ministry alone. And mm-hmm. Um, I'm incredibly grateful for the whole, um, just community of people whose shoulders I stand on. Yeah. Awesome. Well, add one. can I just jump in real fast? I just, yeah. I, I felt I didn't name for, for me. And maybe this story is shared with you all, but like the first women I ever saw preach like Colleen Burroughs was the first woman I ever heard preach. Yeah. And she, I grew up going to passport when it was still in its infancy and they called men and women to be these summer staffers for all of us, you know, who were children of the eighties and nineties and modeling, like, this is normal. This is not weird. This is not different. This is just how, how things should be. I think of Amy Butler, who once, um, when I asked her one time, uh, what does it mean to be a woman pastor? She says, it means you have to be the most excellent one in the room. Just kind of left it out. I was like, well, all right. <laughs> check. Right. No, I'm just kidding. Well, no, y'all, y'all all check that box. You, um, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, so <laughs> as we, uh, as we sort of uh, wrap up, I would um, love to know, like, if you could give any advice to um, maybe, you know, young girls out there or young women or even adult women who are feeling wrestling with a call to ministry uh, what would you say to them I would say surround yourself with people who will will celebrate your calling Um, also it's not your job to defend or prove or teach someone that God Mm. can call a woman I will say um, my parents have, have just been amazing at loving me for who I am and um, supporting me on the journey. And my dad used to give me this piece of advice. He still does. He'll say, Amy, remember that you're a McClure and we don't take poo off of anybody. <laughs> and um, my mom then tamed. I'm going to have to bleep that out, by <laughs> the way. <laughs> I use the word poo, but um <laughs> All that being said, my mom tames that a little bit for me um, by basically saying, just be who God created you to be and be confident in that. Mm. Similar to what Leah just said, surround yourself with people that will remind you of that when you have forgotten. Um, They also always uh, remind me, don't go out looking for an argument or a fight. As Leah said, it's not our job to prove this or um, to bring someone along. However, particularly on social media these days, people are wanting to to start fights with people they've not talked to in 20 years. And so uh, one piece of advice is don't do that. Uh, If someone says something negative, reach out to them personally and have a conversation. It's a lost art in our, um, our culture right now. So I would say have conversations so people get to know who you are and who God has created you uh, to be. And don't ever forget where you came from and use your story uh, to inspire and inform and to share how God is at work. Mm. Nice. Um, So much of uh, what they've said, I share, I would say the deepest knowing in my life and the one that I hope that I continue to return to for those with whom I get to minister 
is that you are a beloved child of God, beloved, fully, fiercely, freely, unconditionally. And that is at the heart of um, your um, imagining Paul, imagining you're that person. Okay. So you're a beloved child of God. You're like, that should be at the heart of your sense of self and place in this world. And I would add to that, like when the church or when the world or when people or when, you know, the person you haven't talked to in 20 years on Facebook has an opinion about things to return to that place of knowing Mm. and to remember why you feel called. Like I, I return to that so often. I think about like, what is the good news I want to share today? Why, why, why do I do what I do? And it's because I love God. I love God. I love God revealed in Jesus empowered and enlivened through the, through the Holy spirit. And I think that the church, when we are living in that deepest place of knowing and truth and beauty can be the like most beautiful force for good in the world. And like, if that is that place, um, uh, then, you know, there's, the world is right there ready for you to step in and and bring the kingdom here. So that's awesome. Awesome. Well, um, usually the way that I I tend to wrap up conversations is with, uh, it's called the skin invitation where I invite people to answer three rapid fire, vulnerable, uh, type of questions. Um, but if we did that three times three equals nine, and that's a lot of questions. So, um, what I I think I'd like to ask y'all instead is something that I've just been thinking about, um, as we've talked and uh, it's something that came up during my conversation with Jacob Toper, um, Leah, you know, Jacob and, uh, uh, Amy, you and Emily might as well, but he's a pastor out in Oklahoma. He did an episode of the, the podcast about, uh, trauma. And, um, he talked at one point about, um, his women, friends and ministry and just being amazed that after some of the, what's the word you used, Amy poo, uh, (laughs) that, that you all have to put up with that you stay in this at all when you could easily be running corporations or making much more money or, you know, all all this sort of stuff. And so, you know, he just, he asked him that, why do you do what you do? Why are you, you know? And so, uh, I'd I'd love to offer that as the closing question. Like, and, and Emily, I think you, you really just kind of nailed it and, and, uh, beautifully, um, but anything that y'all might want to add, why, why do you still do it? I'll just say ditto to what I just said. I mean, it's truly, that is it because I love God and I love Jesus and the spirit gives me life. And because of that, I want to love people with, um, the deepest, most profound truth and beauty and goodness that I can muster. And I think at the best, the church can and does and will continue to be that place and that people. Awesome. I echo that. And also would say, because community is worth it. Um, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I feel just this, I'm just kind of transfixed by the message of Christ um, and by the love that accepts all, welcomes all, cherishes all, beloves all. Um, And I believe that we have 
a mission in this world um, to spread that kind of love um, to every single person. So I would say ditto. And um, just to add to that, I spend a lot of time in hospitals and I watch people at the end of their life who um, have not been told their whole life that they are beloved and they need that word right before they die. And, um, and, and it's such an honor to walk that journey, but I do it because people should be told that their whole life and not just at the end of their life. And so we have such a great calling to remind people that God loves them, um, whomever they are and whomever they love and whomever um, they want to spend their time with and whatever way God has equipped them to affirm that and call it out. And so I say ditto to Leah and Emily um, and even the space on a podcast. We do this because um, there are people in the world right now listening who think that's not me. I can't do that because I'm a woman or uh, because of whom I love. And um, we say, yes, do it because the world needs you. Um, God wants to use you um, to, to make a difference and to remind people that God loves them. Amen. Should we take up an offering? I mean, we have had <laughs> I'll start singing just as I am. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. My my sponsors aren't really paying me a lot these days, so an offering <laughs> would be terrific. Um well, y'all, I'm I'm so appreciative for your time today and I'm I'm grateful for your friendship and um just as much I'm grateful that that y'all have answered God's call to um to be ministers, uh to be pastors and I'm so glad the church has you and um I would love if any of y'all were my pastor or my kid's pastor or, you know, just anybody in my family. Um, so if you live around Winston-Salem or you live around Raleigh, you know, and you want to be loved and know the love of God through Jesus Christ and feel that expressed in the Holy Spirit, go uh, go to a church where one of these uh, lovely women pastor and, uh, and you will get exactly that. Uh, if you live elsewhere, you know, I'm sure there's some good churches around too. <laughs> Join us online. There you go. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Right. For a road trip. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, thank you all so much. Thanks, thanks Paul. Paul. It was a wonderful time. Thank you all. Good to be with yeah. you. It's good to be with you all. All right. Well, thank you again so much to my friends, uh, Leah Anderson Reed, Amy McClure, Emily Hall McGee for uh, just coming on the show and, and sharing your story and uh, helping us to have a better perspective of what it's like to uh, be a woman who is called uh, to ministry. And, and again, I am truly grateful uh, that, that God called these friends of mine and that they answered because um, this church and this world is better because of it. So hopefully you found in this uh, a bit of a gift that maybe you can share with uh, a woman in your life who might be wrestling with a call to ministry. Um, I, I would love for you to, to pass this on, and I know those friends of mine would as well. Um, before we go, I will say, if you get the chance, 
leave us a review on iTunes. That is really, really helpful in terms of um, just helping to get the podcast out there, the purpose of this and the mission of this. And so I would love your positive reviews. I know it doesn't take long, so just uh, go out and leave one of those if you get the chance. Uh, Also, don't hesitate to uh, send in any ideas that you might have for future guests. Uh, Email is really simple. It is the Naked Preacher Podcast at gmail.com. Just straight up the name of the show at gmail.com. So I uh, would love to hear from you. I uh, hope you're doing well. And until next time, preachers, be real.